Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. We are recapping Michigan's 45-7 to win over Nebraska at Nebraska. Alejandro and I were in Lincoln churning out tons of stories and, and being kind of the boots on the ground for the michiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com. We got lots of stories up already from the game, and now that we're both home from you know our different flights and everything, it uh, should be even more over there. So be sure to check it out if you want to read more about what I believe is Michigan's most complete game of the season, their most impressive game of the season. And really, I mean, obviously there's like a lot of numbers that could back that up, but my first takeaway from the game watching it was Michigan, this is not their first blowout win over Nebraska or over a Big Ten team, but it was just really remarkable. Two things were really jumped out to me. One, there were times where Michigan just genuinely looked like they were playing a MAC team, a group of five team. I mean, there were certain plays. Like I think about like the the Kalel Mullings touchdown run where he's just breezing by all these arm tackles or or the Roman Wilson catcher, you know, there were just some of these plays. It was like, it almost looked like those viral flag football videos of like the kids, like one kid's clearly gone through more of puberty than than the other, than the kids he's playing against. Like it just, it, it was not lost on me how Michigan just looks head and shoulders above another big 10 team in that big 10 teams own building. And then the other thing that really stood out to me, and I have a column on this over at the Michigan insider.com, Michigan at 24, seven sports.com. I've covered a lot of these road games. It It's not supposed to look this easy to score a Big Ten road win, especially at a venue that has 80,000 home fans. Like, I, I no disrespect toward, like, in Indiana or Maryland or, or some of the, or Illinois or some of those other venues. Playing in a, in a stadium like Memorial Stadium, there were plenty of Michigan fans that made the trip, but there were probably 80,000 Nebraska fans that's a different kind of beast. You know, there is usually tension, nerves, some turbulence, you know, just just moments of of uncertainty. And even 2 years ago when Michigan played at Nebraska, that was a Nebraska team that went 3 and 9, but Michigan was kind of lucky to get out of there with a win and we both predicted blowout wins, but I got to say I I came away very impressed having covered a lot of these road games. A lot of road losses, a lot of road wins that were closer than expected during Jim Harbaugh's tenure. Uh, they've they figured it out. 
They figured it out. We'll see what happens. Like Penn State, right? That's a different question because being a top 10 team on the road is, you know, that's just testing your championship capabilities. But, yeah, I think back to all the different road games I've been to. I, I can't recall one other than Maryland and, and Rutgers wins that came this easily for Michigan. And so that that speaks to a few things. One, I think that there's a really strong confidence in Michigan's locker room. And, and Trevor Keegan, I asked him about it yesterday. He, he put it like this. It used to be, we can win this. We can get this done. Now it's, we will win this. We will get this done. There's a, there's a different level of conviction. And part of that comes from just stacking some of these road wins on top of each other. I don't know what their road win streak is right now, but in the last two and a half seasons, they have one road loss, and that was to Michigan State. So I think there's a confidence. But then, you know, Jim Harbaugh talking yesterday, you know, people kind of laughed at the loaf quote. He hasn't seen one loaf all season, but, but you know, you dig deeper into what he had to say. I think he is continuously impressed by this particular team. He always loves his players. He's always going to say nice things in press conferences. But but for him, I mean, yesterday in the press conference, he was going way out of his way to talk about the lack of entitlement on the team, the lack of loafing. You know, I think he, he basically, you know, we were asking him questions about the win, and he was basically like, you should see them in practice. You should see how they work in practice, which – tangentially we would love to practices are closed but I think more to what he was trying to say I mean I think he is just on another level with how impressed he is by this team's work ethic so you combine the focus the work ethic the determination and the confidence you know that's a that's a national championship formula and I think it's one thing to to win dominant games at home Michigan's had bad teams that won dominant games at home I do think it's another thing to go on the road because there's a lot more focus. There's a lot more potential. I don't know, hiccups, whether it's the crowd, the officiating, you know, finger pointing if things get tense. Uh, In in this particular game, it was really hot and very windy. And Michigan just from the jump just looked like they were, it it really just looks like when you see like Alabama, when they're at South Carolina or they're at Tennessee, they're at Florida and they just like, casually win by 30 40 points you know, i think about how many of those games i've seen over the years they really look like a national championship caliber team and they have all season to some degree but steve i think you would agree with me here they, they found the next gear on saturday and i think some of it was they just needed the challenge of being on the road but also i think you're starting to see this team kind of round into a more complete form yeah i said this game was all of the uh the Ickles, methodical, clinical, systematical. There's so many more. I looked up. I didn't realize how many Ickles there are out there. I had to, I looked up some this morning. There's hundreds of them, but uh, that was the way I kind of looked at this game. Topography, like, yeah, no, there. I'll I'll post some more on the board for some people. We're all there. learning. Yeah. We're all learning and growing. Right. So many Ickle words, but um, yeah, this. I mean, this to me felt like what we've, in a way. Uh, you know, we've always talked like one thing that Michigan sometimes has done on the road is they they tend to kind of get off to a slow start. Uh, I think yesterday we saw what what they do, what they can do, what they're capable of when they get off to a, a fast start uh, that you really could not have uh, almost the really the polar opposite of last week. Right. I mean, Rutgers did everything. All of Rutgers accomplishments or major accomplishments in the game came in the first like 
five minutes. That's right. You know, yep. right. So Michigan came out the opposite. Again, Nebraska not not a great team. Uh, long ways to go there. I mean, Matt Rule has, has said. So. I mean, it's it's clear. Uh, but you know, it's, it, it is. It's just Michigan literally doing whatever they want. And and again, you're talking. Yeah, when you're playing another team in your conference on the road, your first road game of the season. Again, it doesn't to me. It doesn't matter if you know you're you're better than them on paper. It would have been hard pressed to imagine Michigan not winning this game yesterday, even if they hadn't even played like a good game. I mean, they are just that much more talented than Nebraska. But yeah, I mean, it, this just I, I put it this way: it was a blowout that was just continuously impressive to kind of watch throughout. You know, sometimes these games where it's so one-sided, they just, they get really boring after a while. There's really not, but like, you know, to watch Michigan just continue to just pound the ball, pound the ball, like just take it right at Nebraska. Again, we've talked about, it It felt like Michigan's been setting up that they've slowly been getting there and it takes a little bit sometimes to, to get to that point. But this was, yeah, I mean, this was just a beat down in every single sense of the word, um, all three phases of the game, J.J. McCarthy looked amazing yesterday. A guy that we'll see how Michigan, what Michigan's balance looks like going forward or however it plays out the rest of the year. You know, he's already not getting the mentions as playing some of the best quarterback in the country because he's only because he was only throwing 17 or 18 passes in a game like yesterday. But to me, there's no doubt he's one of the five or six best quarterbacks in the country right now. Um, there's only a few guys that can make that throw that he, that second touchdown to Roman Wilson, in my opinion, um, you know, maybe Caleb Williams is obviously one, but I think you could count on one hand guys who can make that type of throw. And uh, yeah, I mean, you're getting contributions from all over the place. You're having guys that, you know, the other thing too, that was very noticeable yesterday is a nice solid list of guys who just look like they're starting to, it's starting to really click, right? I mean, Braden McGregor probably had his best game of the season yesterday. He's really starting to look like a force on the outside. Derek Moore on the other edge also had a great game. Kalel Mullings, Max Bredesen, you know, guys like Cam Good is another one that I mentioned. I talk, I don't know if I mentioned him in the live thread or whatever, but just continue to look like a serviceable guy in the middle to really go along with all of the guys who have been major contributors throughout the season. So, yeah, you really can't say enough about it. Again, we would have – there's no almost no way we wouldn't have predicted Michigan to win this game. But, yeah, it's hard not to still just be impressed by the way they won. I mean, you're seeing Georgia down to Auburn in the third quarter. Uh, I know Auburn has nice name value, but I think this year's Auburn team kind of stinks. They barely beat Cal a couple weeks ago. I mean, it's not your normal Auburn team. Penn State did that thing where it was really close, and then they ran up the score late to make it look like they beat the crap out of Northwestern, but they really uh, – that was probably a, a nearly a three-quarter struggle for them against kind of a not-great team. So Michigan has still barely had to break a sweat at this point. And that's credit to them though. Yes. It might be partially opponent dependent. They have not played a great team yet by any means, but have we seen a team yet this season, not at least pressed by a much more subpar team? Honestly, mate, what I'm trying to think Zach, I mean, Ohio state get pushed at all early. I mean, it felt like they kind of struggled 
to an extent at, at points. Just Michigan just does not look like they've been even challenged yet. Yeah, it's hard hard not to agree. Just especially the defense. I think the defense just makes all these games look even more dominant than maybe the offense does at times. Just when it's it's like a shutout, and they'll give up a you know a touchdown or a field goal in the fourth quarter. But yeah, it's just been they've looked like the best defense in the country. They're number one in scoring defense. Very clean, effective defense. They also lead in first down defense. Only eleven point four first downs per game allowed. Number one in red zone defense. Number one in touchdowns allowed. Number one in fewest penalty yards, which is offense and defense. But I think that shows a little bit more on about your defense. So just been very clean, technically sound, concise. I mean, this is what we expected. This is one of the most experienced teams in the country. And they won 13 games last season, which is why, you know, we had been building up a narrative. What is it going to take for Michigan to win a national championship? Well, so far... They're doing everything that they need to do. And I think Saturday, you mentioned him, and I think he's someone that I probably didn't appreciate fully in, in live, but upon rewatching the game, I was like, man, that is that is a different wrinkle that Michigan didn't used to have is J.J. McCarthy. I think, you know, you talk about the the slow starts often happen on the road or or maybe I even if it, even if they start out with a scoring drive, you know, there's I feel like there's often like a late first quarter stumble where they, they stall for a couple drives and the other team gets to score and, and the field position and momentum kind of shifts a little bit. feels like there's always like a bump, like a speed bump somewhere in that first half. And I think there wasn't one on Saturday. And I think JJ McCarthy's a big reason why, you know, his ability to make those downfield throws. He was five for seven on pass attempts of 10 yards or more on Saturday. He was four for six when throwing under pressure and, you know, he was able to do the play action. He was able to deliver a couple third down throws. You know, he, he's someone that can separate and elevate Michigan from great team to national championship winning team. And and don't forget, this is a season where I think a lot of the other top contending, or I would say that the traditionally contending teams aren't overly enamored with their quarterback play yet. Still plenty of time for that to change, but I think about a few of the other teams ranked in the top five and the top ten, or a couple teams that have fallen out of the top five, top ten. I mean, this is a year, there's some great quarterbacks, but I don't know if there's a team that has the quarterback and defense that Michigan has. And that's to say nothing of the run game or the offensive line, which preseason were expected to be the nation's best. So I think he was he's a big part of that next level. I mean, just his ability to make some of those those bigger throws, longer throws, more timely throws. I mean, he's he's been really good in third down plays, red zone plays. I mean, those were two areas where he he kind of struggled last season. And now that's almost a strength of his. As far as the you know, the the national discussion of best quarterback, here are the top 5 in order of the best quarterbacks in passer efficiency rating. It's Caleb Williams, USC, Tyler Van Dyke from Miami, Michael Penix from Washington, Jaden Daniels from LSU, and then J.J. McCarthy's fifth. I feel like that's like a fair-ish ranking of the best quarterbacks. I mean, Bo Nix, Sam Hartman, uh, Dylan Gabriel, they're all in the top 10. So that's probably the stat to watch. You know, forget the yards per game, forget the touchdown stats. I mean, those matter, but in terms of, who is the most 
valuable quarterback. Passer efficiency rating might be the stat that shows J.J. McCarthy's value the best. And then I also liked what he had to say. I mean, we'll talk about the defensive players in the second half of the episode, but can't talk about this game for too long without mentioning Kalem Mullings. Second game in a row where he's gotten some third down, some short yardage carries, and delivered. He was given the ball only five times Saturday. He had four first downs and a touchdown. He had 43 rushing yards, including 27 after contact. And he was just, he just really looked like a high value running back. I mean, he's obviously a bigger guy. He's 238 pounds. That's at 6'2, I believe. That's bigger than Michigan's other running backs. That's bigger than most running backs in today's college football. But I felt like his feet were quick. And then the thing we talked about in the offseason, like the next step for him was was running a little bit lower, you know, not not running too high, keeping your your pad level low for contact, but also your center of gravity low, keeping your balance, keeping your vision. It does feel like the last two games we have seen him look like a more refined running back as opposed to big and fast and overall athletically talented. Now he's starting to look like he's he's figured out some of those nuances and it's showing. And and I think Saturday was a good example of Michigan saw him perform well against Rutgers to the point where Jim Harbaugh compared him to, to Toby Gerhardt, right? And then Saturday, he's in there in the in the first quarter. I mean, he's getting a touchdown drive or touchdown run on the second drive of the game. So I think, you know, there's there's a few defensive players who I think are also starting to ascend, whether there was minor injuries or whatever in fall camp or setbacks in fall camp. Now they're starting to settle in and find their role and then build on that role. But Kalel Mullings, him and Roman Wilson, who probably still isn't getting enough credit for the season that he's having, him and Roman Wilson, in my opinion, have been the biggest pleasant surprises on offense. Speaking to Mullings, what is his ascent? What does that do for this run game and this running back rotation? Well, I think we talked before the season. I think I remember writing at some point before the year that his ascension would be massive for Michigan because he does give them a different dynamic than what they have with Corum and Edwards, right? And he's a vet, meaning they would not, they could preserve some red shirts at a position when we know that Edwards and Corum probably won't. It does look like they're preserving two, right? If right. Not three. Yeah, I mean, and if you know if Mullings hadn't if he wasn't showing up, they could go with the Stokes or or uh, Dunlap. But I you know I think Hall would have been in that mix, right? So you never know. So you know, a lot of value in in Mullings kind of being that guy to step up, yeah, because of his style and just again a veteran player with experience, you know, that can allow them to let their younger players marinate, I guess, a little bit a little bit longer for, for another year or so. So something clicked or something's turned on there in the last couple of weeks. Cause as far, yeah, style, like the way he looks when he's running the football, he looks totally different. So I don't know if it was a, a mental thing where he just kind of have to assume he was athletic enough to run the style that he's running the last couple of weeks, but yeah, he just looks uh, totally different. And, and yeah, it looks like a guy Michigan might want to mix in there earlier in the games, kind of like they did yesterday. So yeah, I mean, we know, how valuable it is for Michigan to have a healthy Blake Corum could be what allows them to take the next step. I mean, you got to remember Corum 
still hasn't really realistically has not played a full strength game against Ohio state in his entire career. The the more you can get from Mullings and the more you can get with Edwards, you know, it allows Corum to stay a little bit fresher, but yeah, no, I think, like I said, I, I kind of uh, wasn't so much a prediction that I wrote preseason more of a, you know, if you're Michigan, this is what you, this is what you'd hope for. And uh, yeah, right now it looks like it's, it's coming to fruition. I mean, yeah, if Michigan's offensive line, especially on the interior, continues to look the way that they have, I mean, he's going to have a nice head of steam by the time he gets to that second level, you know, and those, those like second and fives and second and sixes could easily, those, those could be first downs, you know, uh, it just gives them another weapon, you know, not a guy that they're just going to throw in and pass protection situations because he's the bigger guy either. Right. You know, teams are going to have to respect his ability to potentially, take the hand off and run the football. So yeah, I can't say enough about that because he does. He just looks like a totally different player. He does. And I, I, I like your point about not necessarily preserving Blake Horn, but, but also yes, preserving him, making, making his workload one where he's not waking up Sunday, like, and he's never, he's never one to complain or take, you know, he doesn't need load management, but, but just minimizing the, the creaks and the groans that they come during football season. I mean, ask any running back, you know, how many days are, is a running back 100% healthy in a college football season? It's probably however many days it takes before they have their first padded practice. So I think there's some value in that. Like that, you know, I'm sure they still like Blake Corum by the goal line, partly just to help his pro stock, help his Heisman candidacy. uh, In addition to his effectiveness in one and two yard, three-yard, four-yard touchdown runs. But I think, yeah, if there is like a third and one and, and Michigan, I mean, Club Mullings has had four first downs and a touchdown in his five carries Saturday. So he's delivering. You know, if he ever stops delivering, yeah, maybe they'll go to Corum or to Edwards or to someone else. But uh, against Nebraska, against what was on paper a very good run defense. You know, we talked before the game. Maybe not as good as the second nationally, but still a solid run defense. And he delivered. And then I think the other thing that it does, and this is more speculation, but I think it does take some of the pressure off of Donovan Edwards. Because I it's way above my knowledge on what is missing for him to in terms of breaking those big plays, getting those first downs. But the fact is, through five games, almost half a regular season, he just has not looked like the running back that we saw in the second half of last season. So, you know, whether that's mental, physical, schematic, game play, you know, it's probably a little bit of everything. But I think with Mullings' emergence, Donovan is able to just... Now, I don't know, he might have already been relaxed. He, he might not have been a thing, but I can... I think if I were in his shoes... You know, there's a little bit of me that would be like motivated and hungry to like, well, hold on, I want those carries. But I also, if I were in that situation, don't feel like I'm letting the the whole I'm not I don't have the whole weight of the whole offense and the whole team necessarily on my shoulders as I try to get back to to being the player I know I can be. So I think there's there's two benefits beyond just he can give you yards and touchdowns and and first downs. I think both running backs stand to benefit from Mullings emergence. 
Last thing I want to talk about on, on the offense is the, the offensive line. I I think you and I have talked about this. We are not like offensive line gurus or or experts, especially the first time we watch a game. But I, I did feel like that was Michigan's most complete and thorough performance on the offensive line. I, I know there were a couple pressures that that were let up, but but none of them I felt like were ones that JJ couldn't escape. Right? There's like you think about like a blindside pressure or like a, a completely whiffed block those are so much worse than a guy gets by you and forces jj out of the pocket but he sees it coming he has time i felt like the offensive line did a did a very fine very solid job in pass protection then run blocking according to pro football focus 3.0 yards before contact per carry entering saturday nebraska wasn't even allowing two yards per carry period so you're talking about an offensive line that was that was controlling the line of scrimmage, that was identifying the linebackers and the safeties who were dropping down to stop the run. I talked about the balcony view in my preview story. That's something Michigan really emphasized in fall camp is, okay, you're not just blocking the couple guys in front of you. You're, you're trying to see the whole scheme of the defense and where you need to be several seconds before you need to be there to make sure that you're sealing off the linebacks. I, I felt like it was a very sound game for the offensive line. First, first time they've looked good in the first four games. I feel like they were able to take it to the next level. Um, you know, Trevor Keegan after the game, he was telling us he, he felt like this was around the time last year where the offensive line really started to, in his words, gel and real things really started to click was week five, week six, Steve, from, from your vantage point and what you were able to glean, did you see that next step taken from the offensive line? And 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 also, I guess the other storyline, is this the starting five moving forward? Did you see enough from Ladarius Henderson on the left side at tackle and Carson Barnhart on the right side at tackle that you would kind of rock with this with, with no shade at Miles Hinton? But did you see enough from the starting five that, that you think this should be the, the group moving forward? Yeah, I do. I think... Uh... Yeah, this looked like more like and, and and I think when we talk about Michigan's performance the first four games of the season, I think it just speaks to how high the expectations are up front now because yeah, the overall the unit has not played like poorly by any means. Uh even Hinton was mostly playing well, but would make very glaring mistakes when he would make mistakes, right? And I think a lot of those mistakes would stick out more than like some of the better plays. But I think I, I think you're in a position right now where, you know, we, we talked about Henderson being the late enrollee and maybe taking a little bit longer to come along. He had he made some relatively glaring mistakes yesterday as well, but I don't think not as many and not as crucial, I feel like. And it felt like Carson Barnhart looked a little more comfortable on the right side also. I, I think you stick with this unit moving forward right now you know and the other again the other thing we talked about is this is a probably a battle that interesting to see how they handle it because again this these are probably gonna be battles at both tackle spots that continue does at least feel like now jones is probably the clear fourth of the four guys at tackle though although he did see some he saw some snaps yesterday in that sort of tight end extra offensive lineman role that he plays but Matter of matter now of 
whether or not can Hinton come back and challenge Barnhart, right? I mean, I guess, I guess if anything, Henderson may stick at left and, and, and Hinton challenges Barnhart. I mean, that's where it's, I don't know how Sharon Moore would kind of handle something like that, but I think you have to go with the five you had yesterday. And like I said, I lean heavily on for a guy like Henderson having to come in late, get acclimated. I mean, again, we talk about Michigan has played well up front the first four games of the season, but not up to their necessarily their standards. That means you're talking about your vets took a little bit of time to get acclimated as well. So you got to think that Henderson's best football is still ahead of him this season. So I'm I'm going to lean with that that group. And, and yeah, I mean, again, those stats, like three yards before contact, I, again, I know Nebraska's not, you, you think Nebraska, you know, I know it's been a while since they've been an, an elite program, but I mean, those are just, that's just ridiculous. I mean, that means you could literally run the football every play if you wanted to at that rate, you know, and it's just for them to be moving guys like that is just, it. it is, it's impressive. And, and yeah, it's a unit that, like we said, thought it would take a little bit to gel. And I think we're seeing it now. And biggest question for me on Michigan's remaining, we, we do think their next few games should be, should be pretty easy. Should not be any major challenges is like, do Penn state and Ohio state have the horses on the interior of their defensive line to, to handle, you know, what Michigan likes to do running the football. I'm, I'm not necessarily convinced they do. I, I think if anything, maybe Ohio state might actually have the advantage over Penn state in that regard, just because I think what Penn state's lost two interior lost two guys before the season even started up front in the middle, Zinter, Nugent, Keegan. Yeah. It's just good luck. I, I also think this should probably be the starting five moving forward. I mean, it's it's something that Michigan, if they're smart, I don't think that they necessarily tell anyone that that's their starting five moving forward because it doesn't really benefit anybody. Like, I mean, how how nice is it for Sharon Moore that he's got four draft caliber offensive tackles competing against each other every day? Now, you know, you do have to make sure that you're on the same page with all those linemen so that no one's you know, disgruntled or annoyed at the process. But at the same time, I mean, if Miles Hinton outplayed Ladarius Henderson this week in practice, Michigan has the comfort to know either one of them can bring it during games and show it during games. So you can just kind of keep that. You don't have to close the door, I guess. You can you can stick with the starting five and make someone unseat somebody. But I, I think ultimately... You know, the fact that they're all experienced, all being Henderson, Hinton, Carson Barnhart, who's been one of Michigan's better offensive players this season, in my opinion, and then Trent A. Jones. I mean, they're all experienced. They're all proven. They've done it in games. They've been around college football for a while. It's a luxury that as long as everyone's on the same page and as long as someone is emerging, and I feel like Barnhart has emerged, and I feel like Henderson's getting close we finally kind of got to see him in more extended action Saturday you know, as long as that is still going the way that it, it is going so far yeah you can you can pencil in the starting five but you don't even have to close the door necessarily all right we're going to hit a quick break on the other side we'll talk about the defense including several players who I felt had their best games of the season or even uh, of their time at Michigan. You're listening to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. 
Steve, I, I think in the first half of the episode, you mentioned Braden McGregor and Derek Moore, and we can definitely talk about them. But I kind of want to lead on the defense. I, I felt like Josiah Stewart had his best game at Michigan. I felt like he showed a lot. I, I think he looked way better in setting the edge, kind of the outside contain, making sure that those those perimeter runs that I talked about Nebraska being very reliant on didn't go anywhere. And then he had he had two sacks and four quarterback pressures in 11 pass rushing snaps. Can't can't really ask for much much better and to do it against a you know Nebraska not known for their pass protection right now but still he's someone that hasn't necessarily played a ton against group of five competition and and big 10 sized offensive linemen like a lot of his stats at coastal carolina were more against you know sunbelt teams and and teams group of five players and group of five sized players i think it's important because you know that's that's the one question mark that there was about his game entering the season well that and run defense but regardless I I came away really impressed with how he played Saturday he really impressed me similar to Kalal Mullings where I don't think anyone questioned what he could be for Michigan this season and in fact a lot of people predicted him to lead Michigan in sacks and he got off to kind of a slow start but he came roaring back on Saturday I came away really impressed I thought I don't know if he was Michigan's best defensive player Saturday, but he he was one up there, and two, I think he was the most impressive because he was he was doing this after what I think even he would describe as a little bit of a slow start to this transfer season for him. Yeah, I thought run defense and pass rushing, he really showed me a lot. Yeah, I mentioned Stewart in my write-up, like my post-game. Like the, I just kind of write exactly what was going through my mind while I was watching the game sort of deal. And he was one that I mentioned specifically as uh, possibly a guy maybe maybe it takes a little bit to get acclimated as well, right? We've talked a lot about the tackles on the offensive side, but for an edge guy coming from Coastal Carolina, might might still be, you know, not a reality check, but just a, you know, you're, the competition's amped up a little bit. The pressure's amped up, obviously, playing at a big school. What works Michigan, in so. the Sun Belt doesn't necessarily work in the big 10 and that yes. doesn't mean you can't be successful but you might have to change your approach your technique some just you know fine-tune your game a little bit yes so i say you know i think you could argue three of michigan's top four edge players had their best game of the season yesterday right so yeah i mean again it, it, you almost run out of things to say i mean we know te- nebraska had to was a heavily run focused offense they basically had to abandon it like everyone else has so far um i think harbor like real quick i I think he he might kind of like a little bit of the same way i felt about the kid from unlv i think if you give that kid time to develop he might have a shot for nebraska i think he's got some tools to work with but i know know, our nebraska writers one of their takeaways even though they were i thought very honest and objective about Nebraska's overall performance one of their takeaways was you can't really argue that Harburg's the starting quarterback right now I mean oh it sounds weird it sounds weird but like he he answered that question a little bit right well they've been on tv at least twice now and I mean sorry but Sims just turns the ball over way too much I mean it's just very poor quarterback play at points so I, I thought yeah thought yeah just a quick aside I thought Harburg you know, again, 
tough to go up against a Michigan defense, let alone when you're not able to run the ball at all. But I thought he looked like a guy that, you know, if they give him time and and maybe they can develop a little bit better up front and, and add some more skill players that he could be a pretty good player in the conference at some point. So, uh, but yeah, that being said, again, we're getting to the point like with Michigan, especially defensively where people are, you know, you always get your, uh, you know, they could win 70 to nothing. There's still gonna be people complaining about something. It's like, you still have people whining about the past defense a little bit. And it's like, I mean, you know, you let two plays, Nebraska had, had what the fourth or fifth longest shutout streak in college football, you know, and Michigan again once again came within like one broken play of shutting another team out. I mean, think about it. Rutgers scored on not quite a broken play, but you know, again, their teams are just are are really only hitting once or twice per game, period, whether it's a run or a pass, like at all. So, you know, when you're having to dig that deep to find things to be critical about, you know, it really just goes to tell you how dominant they've been. I did mention, doesn't look like Rod Moore's 100% still. I don't necessarily mean that to mean he's not 100% healthy. Uh, He just might not be up to Big Ten game speed yet, right? I mean, he played really late. I think Michigan's just trying to get him out there and get him back on the field you know, you want him to come along, but but again, Quentin Johnson, Keon Sab both continue to look like very solid options there alongside Makari Page. And uh yeah, I mean it doesn't it also kind of feels like you have a pretty set top three at corner now. It looks like Josh Wallace has kind of become that guy for sure now. So some of the questions that we had about Michigan's defense coming in appear to have been answered. Now it's again, it's just a matter of kind of just continuing to play at the level they've been playing. But again, when you have a front seven playing at the level that they're playing at, it's just, it, it is, it's going to make it very difficult. I, I, I just, I do. I think it's going to be teams are going to have to, Oh, here's the other thing too. Sorry. A little bit of a ramble, but I did notice yesterday and somebody on our, somebody on the live thread was talking about it too. You know, after Michigan brought their second and third teams in, it, it dawned on me that Michigan has not really brought much extra pressure at all this season from anywhere. And like, it feels like they've been just able to kind of hold back on different, those types of packages in a lot of situations. I mean, there's, there's your handful, but they're not, it's, they're not predicated on blitzing to create mistakes defensively. Like that's, you know, that's the value of having a deep interior and now an ascending, uh, some ascending play at edge is much like it is offensively where Michigan, there's so many at this point, there's so many different ways that Michigan can attack defenses. And, and a lot of the ways that they can, I don't feel like they've even shown kind of feels that way defensively as far as how they create pressure. I, I think dink, I, I think teams are going to continue to have to kind of dink and dunk and hope that Michigan has like a poor day uh, tackling to really kind of, to, to really to do anything to loosen them up, you know? So, again, can't say enough about what Jesse Minter has done. He's really kind of picked up where Mike McDonald went and has run with it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, again, level of competitions, whatever, but but they're still, like you like you mentioned, the offense, some of the offensive stats and defensive stats as a team, you can't do, like, this is what the top two team is supposed to do, and they're doing it, you know? So, 
Yeah, I think I'm most, I mean, obviously I'm with you on the sense of like, if you're complaining, I would take a step back and just keep the perspective and look around the country. There probably isn't a team, even if you do adjust for opponent, there probably isn't a team that's played a more consistent, crisp level of football in the country. I mean, think about the penalties, the lack of tackles for loss, the lack of you know, the buckling down in the red zone, the lack of missed tackles. I mean, Michigan, even if you do say they haven't played anybody, even if you do the opponent adjustment metrics, Michigan's playing a really efficient style of football. I, I, But I will say I am keeping an eye on those slants and how Nebraska was able to, you know, dink and dunk is technically correct, but I do think it was effective enough that it's not like, it's not like just Bush League plays, you know, it's it's it was actually an effective offense for them. And, it, you know, it's particularly their ability to kind of get their pass catchers to be covered by linebackers and edge guys. They threw the ball 25 times on Saturday. Ten of them were on Michigan's linebackers and edge players. And Steve, they completed nine of those 10 targets. So that's that's an efficiency that I'm keeping an eye on because heading into the game, I think you were, I think you agreed with me on this. Nebraska posed almost zero threat in the passing game, and credit to Harburg. I mean, it's not out of the question that he could get better, that they could have seen something in Michigan's defense that they could exploit. But yeah, I mean, if they they could barely throw the ball against a group of five teams, so it is. Interesting that Nebraska was able to be, let's say, modestly effective at times during against Michigan's past defense. You know, that is something I'll be keeping an eye on and seeing, you know, the individual coverage, how that how that grows. And it's one of those things. It It's not going to reveal itself in a meaningful way until they're playing a top 10 team on the road. I don't think it's going to come up and change the outcome or change the score against Minnesota or Indiana or Michigan state or Purdue. But come November 11th, if that's a problem, I feel like Penn state does have the personnel that they could exploit it. So something, it's something I'm just going to keep an eye on. I mean, if it's the same story next week, then I think it can become something that Michigan has to, to improve upon and correct. But yeah, one game where they were winning by a bajillion and it felt like more than a bajillion at times that that can definitely be overthought. So we're not going to do that. And on the other side of it, I felt like Michigan was really good stopping the run. I mean, this is a Nebraska rushing attack and it was early in the season, but they were, they were six nationally in rushing yards or rushing yards per game. They were 17th nationally in rushing yards per carry. They were really effective at the perimeter runs. I mentioned Josiah Stewart. I feel like Derek Moore has been great against the run. I don't know what the numbers say about that, but I feel like he's always shedding his blocker, maintaining the edge, and then making tackles for loss. And I felt felt like Braden McGregor, Jalen Harrell were also really effective. thought the linebackers filled in really well. Ernest Hausman going up against his former team. A little extra motivation, but but even beyond that, it felt like he was getting to the line of scrimmage to make those plays. Whereas 
some games, you know, those linebackers, they might get you at the three yards past the line of scrimmage. So very effective run defense against a team that was kind of hoping to run the ball a little bit in the game. I mean, they, they, they ended up with over a hundred yards rushing, but I think everyone, even Nebraska would tell you 74 of them came on one play. Their other 20 carries, they only had 32 yards and they only had three other carries other than that big long touchdown run go for first downs out of 20. And I believe it was five out of 20 went for more than three yards. So we've talked about the, the great run defense. I felt like this week, because the run wall has always been something that's very effective for, for Michigan, but to see the, the perimeter players, see the linebackers fill in, you know, that's, that's that next step. And that's also just adjusting to different offenses because some teams are going to be really trying to run the ball up the middle and, get, you know, between the tackles, establish authority. Some teams are going to get crafty with it. They're going to have jet sweeps or reverses or option pitches or, you know, whatever. And so, yeah, the more ways Michigan can dominate on defense, I think the more prepared it will be for presumably an array of offenses toward the end of the season that they're going to have to go up against and try to try to contain. Steve, anything else jump out to you? about defense or special teams. We don't really, we don't always talk about special teams in these post game podcasts, but with the wind thought there were a couple nice special teams plays as well. Anything else jump out to you that you haven't mentioned yet about this game? Uh, Tommy Doman looks like a stud at punter. I mean, I think that is, he. you know, we've talked, talked a lot in the preseason about Michigan normally winning field position game in and game out and how, how, when you look at how efficient they are on both sides of the football, how much how much more valuable it becomes to like it, that might give Michigan their best chance to to run the table is to to keep winning the field position battle. And if you have a young punter who is, and again, yeah, I know the wind was kind of a crazy factor yesterday in both directions, but still is a, a kid with a massive leg and is going to give Michigan's gunners a chance to to keep opposing. Uh, special teams units from from you know maybe flipping the field with their return game. So thought that stood out, but otherwise, yeah, I mean they just keep on keeping on. I feel like I would probably pick I would probably put Michigan as the number one team in the country. I watched the latter probably the last quarter and a half of the Georgia Auburn game, and that was legitimately a Brock Bowers had to carry Georgia, which again he might be the, he really might be pound for pound the best player in the country. I mean, the dude's been doing it now. This would be his third year that he's just been dominant from the tight end spot, but it was definitely a game where he like, you know, I guess I just don't feel like Georgia, the number one team in the country should have to ride their best horse that hard in a, in a game. And again, I, you know, Auburn's, I just, you know, I just don't think Auburn's as good as, you know, you think Auburn, but I just don't think they're that, they're that great. So I would go with Michigan at number one right now, Georgia number two, probably Ohio State number three, and then four would be I don't know because Washington kind of struggled last night a little bit, and and then USC their defense just I don't know. Like what about Oklahoma? Yeah, I, I don't know. So, but I think the top three right now should be Michigan, Georgia, and Ohio State. 
Okay. Okay. I know I've seen Texas get thrown in there. Oh, sorry. Texas would be the fourth. Yes. No, Texas would be either. Yeah. Sorry. I knew I was forgetting somebody. Yeah. I was going to say, I think, I think those rankings, I, it's not something that I put a lot of emotional energy into, but it is an interesting argument. Do you, this time of year, are you going for the most accomplished team so far? Because that probably would be a Florida state or a Texas or maybe even Ohio state getting the win at Notre Dame. Or do you go with the teams that have looked the most dominant? Cause I would, I would think Michigan has probably looked like the most complete team in the country so far. Probably, probably a couple other teams that could be thrown in that mix, but they also, the, the strength of schedule is low. I mean, they have, they have not played the schedules of even other top teams. So I could, I could go either way. I, I do think they have looked from just from my vantage point. I think they have looked like the most complete team so far. And if they keep doing that, then they will end up being number one because eventually, you know, the, the further along the season goes, you know, we talk about each time you keep proving yourself, eventually, you know, you've just proven yourself. That's what it is. So I came away very impressed with the, with the road dominance. I think, I think it's a different story on the road than at home. I've covered Michigan, some pretty good teams, you know, thinking about 2016, 2018, even 2021. I mean, there were, there were games that were tense or bumpy or imperfect on, on the road against teams that even if they won the game, the other team might've had more, looked like it had more of a chance than, than it should have on paper. And we'll see what Nebraska, I mean, they are currently 0 and three against power five teams. That's not lost on us, but we'll see, you know, what, what they look like moving forward, but Michigan just, yeah, in all phases, just a very clean football game, you know, with Doman, don't forget the kickoffs too. Yeah. They were, they were, he was doing kickoffs into this 22, 25 mile an hour wind. And, and it was getting to the end zone or there was enough hang time that, you know, one of the gunners could put a hit stick on, on someone. So, you know, I think Jim Harbaugh mentioned that after the game, but yeah, he had eight kickoffs and, Nebraska only returned two of them and those returns were not very good. So that, that tells me that that Doman was getting air distance, even into the wind. So yeah, pretty, pretty thorough dismantling, I guess that, that Michigan gave to Nebraska. And I, I think Jim Harbaugh said it pretty well after the game. He said, everyone who's walking out of that locker room is feeling good about, you know, what they contributed today. And that's, I think that's, that's probably true across the board. And that's, that's a little bit more rare than I think people realize. I mean, obviously there's always the quote, you know, all that matters is the team wins. And and there is a lot of truth to that, but yeah, it really does feel like every position group, every player is probably on that flight thinking like, Hey, we're, we're building, we're growing, we're getting better, not just the team and not just the offense, defense, special teams, but our position group or our me individually. And that's that's the right direction to be heading, <laughs> I guess this time of this time of year. We'll we'll obviously talk a little bit about their next road game, which is their next game at Minnesota next week. We'll have a preview episode, so be sure to check that out. But for now, that's going to do it for this podcast. Be sure to read more about this win over at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan.247Sports.com. For Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24/7 Podcast. We'll see you next time.